This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Hello and welcome to the first of a two-part series within the Charles Russell Speechley's Property Patter podcast on filming agreements. My name is Naomi Nesselton and I'm a partner in the real estate team at Charles Russell Speechley's. And as part of my practice, I specialise in advising on the more commercial property elements of landed estates. I'm joined today by two guests. Firstly, Simon Foster, Director of Tourism, Leisure and Events at Savills, and Robert Parker, who wears two hats on this two-episode series. Firstly, Robert is the Technical Advisor at Historic Houses and also is himself a historic house owner. So I'm hoping he will bring two aspects to this podcast. Our landed estates and commercial teams have been working with a number of clients over recent years on agreements with production companies for the use of historic houses and other land and buildings as sets for filming. The increasing commerciality of the historic house and the rise in demand for unique and authentic UK film settings has made this a hot topic for our property owning clients. And I have been working with both Simon and his clients and Robert and members of the Historic House Association on a number of filming agreements over the last few years. So the three of us thought it was worth our sharing some of our experiences with you. So without further ado, I've got a question to ask. And I think my first question is going to go to Simon. So Simon, how does a historic house owner get involved in filming? Um, thanks, Naomi. And, you, and you're quite right. It is a hot topic. Um, what we're seeing at the moment is a phenomenal increase in inquiries for filming, not just in historic houses, but across uh, the UK generally. Um, that This comes on the back of um, a 25% tax break uh, that was introduced some years ago for international co-productions filming in the UK, which has made the UK a very desirable film location. So the, the level of interest in filming, first of all, is, is very, very high. And it's not just locations within the sort of M25 corridor, really. It used to be a few years ago, but now production companies seem much more willing to travel far and wide if they can find the right location. Um, so in order to attract those filming inquiries, I think there are a few things to consider. First and foremost, perhaps your own website. You know, most historic house owners have, have a website uh, to promote their houses, and that's a really good way to, to show uh, industry contacts that you are open to the idea of filming uh, and actually giving some examples of those uh, film productions with photographs is also an another really sensible idea to include on your website and then there are some really good listings also to consider generally they don't cost anything to list um, but commission will be payable uh, if you if it does result in any secured filming agreements um, but yeah listing on the sort of key location websites including location works which has a a tie up with historic houses uh, and it's probably the biggest and the, and the best um, film location database creative england is another one and there are other smaller ones like um, ad locations and lavish and location works and one or two other ones so yeah listing on sort of location agencies is very important and i think the third point i'd make is that over time as you start to attract a bit of filming if you can build up a, a database of location scouts just keeping in touch with them is a really sensible idea um, and developing that list of contacts because location managers, if they find a location that works well for them and it's relatively easy and it has all the right facilities, 
then they'll come back again and again. So sort of developing relationships is, is a, another important aspect in terms of attracting filming. That's great. Thanks, Simon. And, and some of that relationship topic and, and the interplay of repeat use will come up later as we progress through our discussions. Robert, you yourself have had your own home use for filming, but you also in, um, manage a lot of inquiries from members of the historic houses. Can you tell us a bit about your experiences and some of their experiences and how they have got involved in using their houses for filming over the years? Uh, I, I think the the uh... Filming in historic houses specifically, but we can say wider on the States, um, started with Brideshead Revisited all the way back in uh, 1980. Um, and really from that point, um, historic houses or historic houses association as it was then, have been very involved advising members, uh, leading them by the hand, uh, particularly in the fees to be charged, um, but also in um, uh, the, the type of contracts, which we'll discuss later. Um, echoing what Simon has said, absolutely a website. Uh, what, what people won't maybe realise is that quite often um, that is where the inquiry will come from. The location manager is probably searching for historic houses or ballrooms or stable yards or lakes on historic um, estates, um, all manner of things, and it'll come co completely out of the blue, um, and maybe nothing to do with what the historic house thinks, you've got a wonderful ballroom, I've yet, I've got a house with a, a ballroom type room, not once have I been asked for that, um, it's not what the, the film, uh, the filmmakers generally are looking for, they have in mind one very important thing, is they just want to wait to make, to make the film, and the owners have their one very important thing. They want to actually make money from it um, and also have no damage done by the filmmaking. My involvement, actually, we've, I suppose, at Bruce, I, I, I live in the, in the middle of Lancashire. And I think the earliest was um, Wuthering Heights, which again was in probably the late 80s. Um, and a Terence Stamp and chess game. Um, uh, lots of things, nothing really well known, um, but the most frequent inquiry, without a doubt, are not the dramas, not the feature films. Um, they are one-off documentaries, um, and those in some ways the easiest to deal with, but by, they are by far the, the least remunerative. So um, only last week um, we received a, a requirement for just two hours filming. Um, for uh, one of uh, George Clark's programmes on um, houses. It's nothing to do with my house. It was actually to do with a house that somebody was moving into in the district. They were just a filler. Um, I've been on Floggit again, just as a filler. So <laughs> I enjoyed your reference to Floggit, and we were discussing previously, it's sort of one extreme to the other, prior to revisited to Floggit. But I suppose the key thing is here that giving up your historic house or using it for a location doesn't have to be a massive life-changing thing. You may not become the iconic property that Highclere has become as Downton Abbey. You may be more of a Floggett room or a back of house area. And I know that Robert, Simon, you and I have both had clients where it's actually been some of the little barns or small little cottages on the estates that have been used rather than the main property itself. So I think, Robert, you've already referred to the terms and the remuneration, and I think it's worth us now turning to, once you've thought about using 
your historic house and you've begun discussions either through an agent or independently with a production company. And it's worth mentioning now that there has obviously been an overall increase in the number of channels producing materials. Back in the day when we only had four channels on our screens and various filming companies, it's very different to now where you've got Netflix, Amazon, as well as the traditional filming channels and film companies all vying for locations for their filming. So being a lawyer, but Simon being an agent, you will also back me up on this. When you're talking about commercial terms, we usually use something called a heads of terms or a term sheet. And it's basically a precy table that using the headings of what are going to form your contract to focus everyone's minds on expectations about some of the material terms of that contract. So we thought it was worth touching on what's going to be in that filming agreement and thinking about what you would like to see in those heads of terms. So I've got two headings here and I'll touch on a couple and then both of you can share your thoughts. My first heading is financial bits and pieces. So you've obviously got your location fee, which is what you're going to be paid for using the location. We can go into a bit of detail on that, but from my experience, that can be a different level of fee for what is sort of build up days, take down days and actual filming days, depending on how disruptive and how prevalent the filming team are going to be during those respective periods of times. We've got an overtime fee and we'll dwell on that in a minute. And also, as well as the amounts themselves for the, the rent, as I would call it, being a property lawyer, there are also, you've got to think about any additional fees or reimbursement for services that might be relevant. And we can come on to that in detail, but as a heading, it's worth remembering how the utilities might work, whether there's any staff on site that might get involved. And finally, and Simon, this is where I'm gonna play over to you, it's the terms upon which you get paid, when and how, et cetera. So Simon, do you wanna give us a bit of steer about location fees and how a historic house owner or lands estate owner might go about negotiating those? Yeah, um, I, I can, Naomi. I suppose the first thing to say is that fees do vary hugely depending, first of all, on the nature of the production. Um, as Robert said, you know, documentaries, the floggets of this world will pay very much less than a than a Netflix drama series, for example. So the fees do vary hugely. And also they vary depending on the uniqueness of the location. So if you've got something that people, that the location... Uh, production company really value then the, the money that you can charge for it tends to be tends to be that much higher whatever the production I always advise clients to be a little bit cautious about naming your fee until you know exactly what it is the production company wants because the goalposts do shift you know what the location manager initially asks for on that first recce will quite often be very different by the time the full production recce has taken place and the director and the producer have been so just Play your cards fairly close to your chest. Hope um, uh, it would be as accommodating and as friendly as possible. Um, and that's really, really important in terms of welcoming a film crew. They want to know that you're keen to help them. But just be a bit cautious about naming your price until you're absolutely sure you know what it is they want to do, how long for, which rooms they're going to use, how many vehicles they're going to bring, how many crew they're going to bring. It all impacts on the sort of the potential wear and tear on the site and intrusion into your lives and you know intrusion into your business if you're trying to run it as a you know as a commercial concern so 
you know, that's my sort of first bit of advice is just be very, very careful about naming a fee at an early stage. But, you know, having worked out all those things and knowing what it is they do want to do and how long they're going to stay and so on, um, you know, those fees can vary hugely, as I say, from just a few hundred pounds for a, a, a documentary, um, which will just sort of cover your staffing costs and maybe your heating for the day, to, to tens of thousands of pounds per day for a for a big Netflix production and all manner of fees in between the two. Um, you must know at the outset what the location manager wants. Um, and then the size of the actual film production is a huge indication. How many are going to be in the crew? Is it just going to be three or is it going to be 300? Um, and they, they're not that they're going to be cagey about it, but they, they haven't got that in the topmost of their mind when they first meet. Um, the, 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 the agent, the location manager, they just want to have the, the, the location. So the electrical, uh, electrical needs and lighting, um, what, what are they going to be using for that? Do they need a, a large generator to come on site? The type of props to be brought in? Um, will they be lighting from the outside of the house rather than the inside of the house to get a sort of a natural effect in filming? Will you need to move furniture? out of the rooms, as I have a, a, a occasionally. If so, where's that going to be stored? Who's going to do it? Um, and will the production conflict with any other commercial activity? And the big one in historic houses is weddings. Uh, weddings are booked months and months, and if not years in advance. And film uh, filmmakers come with a very short time spent lead. I'm sure you agree, Simon, maybe oh, six weeks. That would be quite a long one. 12 weeks if you're lucky. Um, and that's quite tricky, um, particularly if there's a, a, a quite a, a juicy production, a decent drama that you would like to accommodate and raise profile. Robert, that's really, really helpful. And obviously, we've learned about this from some of our clients who perhaps weren't as well as prepared as others and were sometimes as slightly shocked as the extent of the pantechnicans that were then driven onto their driveway. So I think collectively, we've talked about this and it's worth relaying that it's key to, like anything in life, if you have a better insight as to what's going to happen, you'll be much more aware and able to deal with it. So understanding what's going to happen when the film team arrive on site is, is really, really important. Robert, you've touched on the idea of if anything needs to be moved out. And I know that collectively we have clients who have absolutely priceless items of furniture and paintings that may need to be stored safely. And I think we would always recommend, and I know the Historic House website does this as well, that specialist removal people are employed to do that so that those items are looked after in the proper way when they are removed, but also then when they are put back, because often it's one of the most dangerous moments for a unique painting is having it moved. Once it's sitting on the wall, it's usually all right. Um, it's probably worth just talking about what might happen when the filming team come on site in terms of what they might do to your property. And again, this varies hugely. You've talked about, Robert, the idea of Floggett turning up for two hours. They're probably not going to do a lot. Um, but actually, in other instances, you may find that rooms need to be repainted for their colour. You may even find that, that larger alterations are required to windows. Um, we've had clients who've been asked to install special safety glass for stunts and things like that. And so being my lawyer hat on, I would I would put my arm up now to say, if you've got a list of building, you need to be jolly, jolly careful making any alterations to it. Um, but on the plus side, you might find that you get a lovely repainting of your property 
creativity, which you might not otherwise have been able to do. So there are some upsides there, but really it's about discussing with the production company what's going to happen so that everyone's aware and then you've got the right parking areas reserved. You're not moving sheep on the day that the people are driving their lorry down the drive and all sorts of other really practical things that come from the everyday managing of a landed estate or historic house. So we've got our agreement and we've talked about our heads of terms, but these were commercial things we talked about. The other things which it's worth just setting out at the beginning over and above those kind of understanding what's going to happen are some more practical things. And those are, for example, the periods and time periods that the company are going to need. And as I've touched on in terms of the location fee, these tend to be divided into three sections. Your build or production days, when the company will be on site getting things ready. So they're probably not at full whack, but you might have quite a lot of kit, Robert, you've already referred to cabling, which is an excellent example. And then the actual filming days when things there with people running all over the place and they can be quite intense, but also the filming crew will be probably would struggle with the idea of another event or another activity running alongside that. Whereas in the build up and build down days, you might manage that if you're a particularly commercial active landed estate. And then finally, the reinstatement period. And I'm going to touch a bit more on some of the reinstatement bits in episode two, but that will be set out as a sort of takedown in the agreement. The other thing to think about are the locations. And, and Simon, you and I have touched on this. Should we talk a little bit to everyone about a mission creep and what happens when a film crew agree where they're going to film from your experience? Well, I, I sort of speak as an ex-location manager, so I've probably bit uh, careful what I say. Um, but um, yeah, there can be a bit of mission creep, not, not always the fault of the location manager. I think what he or she gets told at the start isn't necessarily what eventually what the what the director wants so so the goalposts do shift a little bit and i would say that 99 percent of location managers and production companies are very professional uh extremely good at what they do and will treat locations with the utmost respect just occasionally you will get one uh, that isn't um, and you have to watch them like a hawk um, and you know for example one of the things i always advise is that at the cost of the production, it's worth having a member of staff from the house on duty with the with the film crew throughout the filming process uh, to make sure there isn't mission creep, to make sure that they are behaving properly and they're not putting hot lamps in front of uh, expensive tapestries and running cables over expensive Persian rugs or whatever it might be. So, you know, that's an important consideration as well. So, yes, there can be a bit of mission creep, but I think hopefully with good communication, throughout the planning process, by the time they actually come and film on the day, everyone knows exactly what's going to be done and where. We've actually been able to draft for that in agreements to provide for if the location is A, but actually when the production company turn up, they want to use A and B, there can effectively be a mechanism inserted into the agreement that allows them to agree to do that. But the key point here is that then the fee is increased to reflect that and all of the coverage in terms of protection and liability extends to those additional areas. Robert, talk a bit about that to us, if you would. Mission creep is, I, uh, my experience is the actual day's filming set up and strike and the actual day's filming uh, tend to be fairly rigid and pretty well kept to. Um, where mission creep comes in um, is um, going out 
outside the boundaries of where they should be. Um, I remember a few years ago, um, they were in the house at 8.30 in the morning, where they should have been at 9 o'clock, and, and drawing a plaster cast of an actor um, on our, our Arga. Um, <laughs> so they're, they're rather bizarre, and they're immediate. They're not easily covered actually by uh, uh, the contract, but it is covered by somebody being on site um, all the time, keeping an eye. Constantly at Mission Creek is, could they use another room? Um, um, constantly in the Mission Creek is, could they use a piece of furniture or a picture? Um, all these Mission Creeps are uh, worth money um, and perhaps to be de dealt with fairly immediately then and there. Um, it won't be very much negotiation. It may be worth £500, it may be worth £1,000, or it may be, no, you're not allowed to come into the house until nine o'clock. That's what it says on the contract. So I think where we've got to for this first episode of two is that information is everything and, and really spending time understanding what's going to happen when the filming team arrive on site and understanding from them exactly the areas that they're going to use, the hours they're going to need to be there is really important. But also, as you both suggested, having one of your own teams on site at all times to be on hand to quickly deal with anything that arises, to use additional opportunities, to use additional space if that's what everybody wants to do, that can be really positive, both for the film company and for the historic house owner. Simon, I just want to close out with something that you said, which is that you have got something unique in your property, and you should all remember that. This is a really positive way of getting your historic house out to a wider view of different generations, different experiences, giving it a different lease of life. It might be used for something completely different than what you might imagine. So this can be hugely opportunistic, but keep your cards to your chest, as Simon and Robert have both told us. Don't name your price. Make sure that you've got all the information you can before you close out what you're going to agree. So we'll be back for episode two, where Simon Robert and I will be joined by my partner Richard Davies from our commercial team who will be talking a little bit more about the IP and trademark side of some of these images. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.